Freight Train, Shady Grove, Jackaro. There ain't no bugs on me. Eyes of the World. Jerry Garcia and David Grisman. Jerry is my mainstay. My go-to artist. My god of guitar. The man for all reasons. The man for all seasons. He's my reason to life. He's my reason to innocently romp and roam through the countryside of kings. The Grateful Dead. Dave Grisman. Merle Saunders. John Kahn on bass. The Jarrettes. Drummer Ron Tut. Howard Wales, Bob Dylan. Ever look at your running script when you think you still always have a ways to go and that it shapes up to have a certain mass to it? You're amazed. You amaze yourself that you've written a large body of work, that you've solved the written large body mass of text, that you've solved the age-old conundrum of the assignment at hand. You've made the grade and trudged through the seeming darkness only to find the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. It's all good. That mass of text has been set in stone and you will not repeat, will not deviate and all is good. Now, just read it. Like there were never any words to be said. My foray into the Grateful Dead, Howard Wales with Jerry's funkadelic approach, and Dave Grisman homage to the countryside are quippy tight cohesive compositions lovingly presented with guitar and microphone Jerry works on all fronts Jerry is there for all of us to beckon and reckon with. He's a complete artist with an incomplete approach. Nuff said. 
So this program, this episode of Talk Me Some Art, analyzes Jerry Garcia, the artist and the man. Let's look at the man. He's flawed. He has his issues. A known heroin addict. A known diabetic. A known fat man. And when I say fat man, I say it lovingly. He himself was known as the fat man. But fat is spelled P-H-A-T. He's Jer Bear. He's the man in the colored t-shirt with the full spectrum, leaving out red for just a couple of his performances. So when he came on stage in 1987, I believe, I know of that performance where he had a red t-shirt. Scraggly looking, overweight of course, possibly stains on the shirt. He played up a storm for his audience. And the music that he resonated with and the tones and the passages, the quippy one-line jam lines, the crunchiness of his guitar, of his wolf, or of his alligator, or of his tiger. What's this with animals, Jerry? Jerry was an animal lover. He nicknamed Dave Grisman the dog, D-A-W-G, and it stuck. And my man, David, who I have immense respect for, who's a lovely man in his own right, lovely because he loved Jerry, continues on with that nickname and uses it for his own record label for all the world to hear. So I sit here in total awe and wonder of this man, Jerry Garcia, because the notes that he played way out in the back rafters, you know, that reached that far in the bleachers, if it was outdoors, he probably played half and half, outdoor and indoor, of his 4,500 performances. Can you believe that? Can, can we even comprehend that many performances? None of them phoned in, and the notes echoed behind the bleachers to that last person on the periphery maybe on acid, maybe high on pot, maybe drunk, maybe out on heroin, the person that experienced those notes, those same notes and the same feelings are transmuted to me when I listen to Jerry drug-free. And I'm not bragging. I don't think there's anything wrong with drugs if you can take them responsibly and be responsible with them. Do no harm was Jerry's mantra. Freedom, the free love movement, 
yep, antiquated by today's standards, but it, in a sense, is a life message. And isn't it the way to go from here? We have a lot of freedoms in life, and we should celebrate them. We should dance in the streets. Another Grateful Dead song. And his forays into great rock music trudged on until 1995, August 9th, the day of his death, was when the Grateful Dead disbanded. How profound. How sad. Yet, how uplifting to know that this man collaborated with these great artists and they with him. So his songs were light as a feather, but he was not a featherweight. His songs rippled another Grateful Dead song through life and love and churned their way in the sea of serenity. At risk of this sounding like a bad stanza epic, I will just say this, that Jerry was love and love was Jerry Garcia. So Garcia came on the stage and on the scene in 1965, uh, they were formally called the Warlocks or informally, depending on how you look at it. My cat's looking at me right now, um, like as if she knows what I'm talking about. And then she continues to sniff the ground. Aren't cats awesome? They are dog-like, but they have their own personalities. Anyway, Jerry came on the scene in 65 when he formed the band with Bob Weir after Bob Weir met him in Palo Alto, California in behind a music store where Jerry had a small uh, uh, extension to that building. Uh, Stucco, I believe, was the exterior. And it was New Year's Day, and Jerry didn't know it was New Year's Day. He was wondering to Bob, who he just met that minute, where his uh, students were. And Bob said, gee, Jerry, it's, uh, it's New Year's. And um, Jerry uh, said, oh, okay, why don't we jam? <laughs> and that's what they did. They played music. And Bob, Bob came from, Bob wanted to play guitar, of course, rhythm guitar, mostly. But he, he knew that his limitations were rhythm guitar. Um, he wasn't a lead lick man or a, lead, a lick lead man. Uh, so he and Jerry in that small room behind the music store on a, on a indescript or undescript uh, or nondescript uh, avenue in Palo Alto um, started jamming and he wanted to support Jerry. In other words, support him, uh, support him as a person, but also mainly to support him as a musician uh, and in a practical way support him uh, as Jerry played his guitar. Uh, Bob realized that Jerry needed, needed some backup. So he, he was so excited 
to, and the excitement must have, you must have been able to cut it with a knife on those first songs that they got together on. Um, and, you know, he just played his heart out. And of course, Jerry did too. And it was locked. The band was then formed. Uh, there was, there were some days of, of blankness as always, but they regrouped as the Warlocks. And their first gig was a nondescript, again, <laughs> we're talking nondescript things in Palo Alto, uh, a pizza, a pizza parlor. And that's how they describe it, a pizza parlor. Pizza parlor. I'm from Rhode Island. I have trouble with, with those kind of, uh, uh, those kind of words, pairings. But uh, in any event, they, uh, they played really well. Um, to an audience of just a handful. And then um, they lived together in a small house, a beautiful, beautiful bungalow-style uh, craft, kind of crafty house. And uh, they started getting bandmates together. Isn't that a cool thing? How do you begin? How do you even begin to find people? I think they just gravitated to this man. They saw the love in this man and they wanted to be part of it. Part of the love and excitement of the Grateful Dead, which was not yet stamped. They were, they were calling themselves the Warlocks, Warlocks and um, Jerry went to a dictionary um, and he found in a dictionary of... of uh, of, of old Mexican dead traditions and he found the term Grateful Dead and it meant the uh, sacred dead rising up uh, to worship the living and uh, something like that on that idea give me some slack on that one and he mentioned it to the other band members and they weren't too enthralled by it, to say the least. But it grew on them and they started using it and the fans accepted it immediately. They loved the name and it took. Can you imagine that band with any other name? Can you imagine them if they were called the Dreadlocks or the Green Mountain Men or the Troubadours or the Hippie Troubadours or the the lone loose men of the plains. No, no, this group, this group had to be the Grateful Dead and it was deemed so. And their music speaks for itself, of course. They went on to perform, make great performances. 2,500, that's 2,500 people. That's uh, 1,000 plus 1,000 plus 500. Now, if you were a band and you, in the history of your 30 years from 65 to 95 when Jerry died, and again, the band was dissolved after Jerry died, the day after, or the day of, um, because I think he was found in the morning in, in, the, in, the, um, in the clinic. He went in and had checked him in, himself in. He had checked himself in before, but this was the last time, of course, his heart, what happened was his heart just said to Jerry, I can't do it anymore. 
and uh, you know the heroin is just taking its toll the overweight aspect uh, the chain smoking which probably factored in less the pot smoking which probably factored in less uh, but certainly the the weight the uh, cholesterol the poor diet the bad lifestyle in general the heroin use certainly aged him uh, when I saw him a picture of him at 53 the year he died in an interview uh, he looked like an old wise sage um, he looked like an overweight Santa Claus okay now how bad is that um, this was a weak man tired of living but not tired of life and love and I think we need to take a step back and learn from his mistakes and try to move on and try to be wiser than he was um, with all his wisdom he just did not cut it and just did not make it through the other end of the tunnel but he did have a great life I think he did I can say from my from where I sit the bleachers were hot and sticky and the amps were pumped and raised to the highest bar and the audience was enthralled and enraptured and the music flowed and the music never stopped to quote yet another Grateful Dead song Please forgive me if I sound preachy, didactic. I don't want to be. But when explaining great rock legends and seminal bands, one can't help but fall into that proverbial trap. And as my cat gazes out the window, I gaze at the bright light of Jerry looming in the heavens. My brother reminded me that, um, who's not pontificating at all or, you know, super religious. In fact, he, he welcomes an irreverent joke here or there. But he knows that Jerry's not at God level and he's not at the saints level I don't think Jerry's a saint but he should be the Catholic Church being stringent and strict doesn't meet out the badge of saintlyhood um, to just anyone Mother Teresa and John Paul aside, uh, I think Jerry should be almost in that company. Notice I said almost. I need to condition it. Um, my mom and dad, to me, are saints. But that's my own personal perspective. And I'm entitled to it. I put my parents above Jerry. 
but I have Jerry right there next in line. Um, is there a heaven for cats and dogs and horses and sheep? I think so. My sister-in-law told me the other day it was okay to, to think that way. And if it is, they've got a direct line, don't they? There's not a lot of back and forth as to whether this person should be going to heaven or not. So the crunchiness of Jerry's guitar, um, the absolute shredding, shreddability of it, is, uh, is really beyond the pale, and it's off the charts in my book. And I love the man. I said it before and I'll say it again. I love this man. My cousin Andy would come over uh, to my house. I would have the Doobie Brothers on, on vinyl playing back in the day. It's good to see vinyl coming back. And he would basically tear off my, my record. Don't get me wrong, I love my cousin. I love my cousin Andy to death. Um, but he would then proceed to replace that now ruined album with another record, and that was the Allman Brothers. And I love the Allman Brothers, but I, I love the Grateful Dead more, and I think that they're the GOAT. So I think there's no other band greater. GOATability is a real tough sell. And I think, you know, you look at Dave Grisman, the work he did with the four albums with Dave, Merle Saunders and, and the, the Jerry Garcia band, the work that he did with that band. They only did one studio album, but uh, performed something like 1,500 shows. You know, that, that left another, um, let's see, let me do the math here. That left another uh, 1,500 shows that Jerry did aside from the Grateful Dead and the Jerry Garcia band. It's mind-boggling. It really is, people. And Jerry wants me to get the word out that he was great, but not in a boastful way. He wants people to know that, yep, he worked hard. One of the hardest working musicians and artists of all time. And he wants to get something back for it. And I think he wants today's generation to know so I am always trying to get Jerry in a sentence, tangential or otherwise, to show that this man is the greatest ever to grace the stage of rock, jazz, folk, of appellation, of funk, of fusion, and of Dixieland. Let's not discord, dis, let's not discount Dixieland. Uh, it's, it's a great art form. Um, it's a conversation with instruments. I think that you'll find that that's the definition of Dixieland. Um, instruments in conversation with each other. And it's happy. I'll give you that. It's, it's, it's one or two-dimensional at the most, but it takes on extra dimensions through that. 
which is a lovely thing. So I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Talk Me Some Art. And it's wonderful to have you listening and sticking with me. And I hope that the story of Jerry resonated in your life and that you continue to carry on this torch, whether you're a musician, whether you're a typesetter, plumber, carpenter, uh, whether you're a, uh, whether you're an Epicurean, (laughs) whether you're a a great cook, whether you're a non-artist, but who is a non-artist? There's not any non-artist. Everyone's an artist in their own right, through their own life. Um, and have a wonderful, wonderful experience out there in life. And until we talk again, go slow, people. <laughs>